Well, welcome to the Deliberate You podcast series, where we bring you our best thinking on various topics related to running a business, but with our slant. You know, we at Deliberate You believe that work is worship and that God uses entrepreneurs like you to help advance his kingdom. As such, it is our calling to teach tested strategies for personal growth and development, offer practical tools to accomplish your dreams and goals, and come alongside to support deliberate incremental change that is rooted in the application of timeless truths. This podcast is part of a series looking at the area of recruitment, from finding candidates to even consider through to the onboarding process. We're recording this in early 2022 during a time of much difficulty for business owners to find employees to fill a variety of roles. So we hope that you will find the time to engage this entire series. I have with me on this podcast, Bria Robinson, our client experience manager, and myself, Matthew Eckert, who's a host and the senior consultant of this podcast of, of Deliver You. In this episode, we'll be talking about the screening process. You know, depending on the position you're hiring for, you could receive dozens, if not in excess of 100 people, expressing some level of interest in the, any position. So how can you take a first pass and be able to quickly screen out those candidates that don't have potential. You know, in hiring new team members, screening is very important. In sales, we screen our prospects to make sure that they are an ideal client for us to avoid wasting time chasing leads. And similarly with recruiting, we want to screen to save not only our time, but their time as well. Ultimately, we want every applicant who comes in contact with our company to feel cared for and valued. We also screen because we don't want to get too distracted by different aspects of a candidate without being able to think objectively about them as a candidate. So it's often hard to know how much to screen or how to screen for each position. So actually we have a great cheat sheet that exists. We're gonna walk through this with you to give you a sense of what's going on. And so Bria, I wanna start with this whole process. You've been very much involved in helping clients uh, find uh, staff. But it all starts with defining your ideal candidate, always keeping this top of mind. So can you talk about the whole aspect of your ideal candidate? And I'm sure hopefully that people develop the job description based on this, but what have you seen with respect to an ideal candidate? What perhaps uh, company owners or managers are missing in this process? What do you think is good? Yeah, awesome question. So I think the big thing about the ideal candidate is it's very similar to an ideal customer profile. So even things, so when I'm thinking about an ideal customer profile or an ideal candidate, I try and imagine who that person is, where do they hang out? Where are they gonna see ads? Cause that's why where they hang out makes sense is where are they gonna actually see the ads? Where are they gonna be looking for an ad? And <clears throat> even what mood are they gonna be in, in in looking for that ad? Are they more like a go-getter who's gonna be really looking for really looking for an ad in that moment or are they just more going to be sitting back in that moment and see something and be kind of sad about their current workplace and is that what we're trying to play off of in the ad um <clears throat> but that's the big thing with the ideal candidate i think sometimes a lot of times people are too rushed to even think about who is the ideal person for this job mm. and they just try and get someone there or someone that is better than the last person i've had a, quite a few clients who have said things like, well, they're really great. They're way better than who I have before. And I was like, well, 
Who did you have before? Were they great? And if you don't have any of those ideal candidates already working at your job, at your workplace, it's also hard to figure out who is actually, who is that ideal candidate? Because if you have a great work, uh, sorry, a great employee at your business, you can go and talk to them and ask them, is this attractive for you? Okay, you know what? We have John who works here and he's really awesome. And we'd really just love to have a second John. So let's go talk to John then and ask him if this is attractive to him and if he'd help us frame up our ads, frame up our screening so that it would work for him. And so then we're not adding additional barriers, but we're also adding the right barriers so then he feels really um, kept warm almost. Like he feels like he's really excited about the position because a lot of people, <clears throat> when we've actually hired and gotten to hiring the right person, we found that they have said, well, you know what? The things that you did, they felt very intentional and I was just super excited about the job. Mm. Like it didn't feel like a barrier. And that's what we want to come back from. We don't want, we don't want people who, we don't want to have too much where people are feeling like, oh gosh, this is such a chore. I'm not even excited about this job. But we also don't want to have too little where people don't feel like they know what's going on. And then they also don't really get to know who we are before they apply. So, or before they get to the interview process, because we want them to really be excited and um, interested in the job. So how important, go back to this, um, it's actually something I, I didn't do in my previous roles in managing people. So I love this, I, I wish I would have, I guess. How important is this screening before an interview? Because in one sense, I guess, screening is kind of a mini interview. So best you can, how do you delineate between what we're trying to get at? Is it just a shorter kind of interview so you kind of know if you want to spend time on a longer interview is it simply described as that or is there other nuances to a screening process that's different than an interview process maybe I'm just split, splitting hairs here yeah I guess the big thing for for me and for us is that we're hiring based on the whole person mm -hmm. and based on our values and based on a values fit first versus a competencies fit first now if you <coughs> look at a resume or a cover letter, for the most part, they're not going to actually tell you if they fit your values. They're not going to tell you if they fit your values. They're just going to tell you what their experience has been. And so in those sorts of situations, you won't actually get what you're looking for before you have an interview. And then as an example for myself, I had, I was hiring for a position back in 2021 and we had over 450 applicants. Now, I do not have time to interview 450 applicants. And actually in our, in our frame for Deliberate You, I do all of the screening or someone on the team does all the screening. And then we pass that off to the people who are doing the interviews. Mm -hmm. And usually there's a partner involved in that sort of conversation. And the partners don't have time for 450 interviews. And actually what I ended up getting them was, uh, I think six or eight people to interview, but the screening really is about getting to know the person a bit more. So then you can understand if they fit your values. And you're also screening for things like, as um, we mentioned before, things like grammar, um, oral communication, what are the things that are important for the role? And you're going to screen for those as well. I love, so. the, I love the delineation made there. I wouldn't have thought that. So you scan the resume so initial scan, it looks like they have competencies, so to speak, for the role. So you're looking for a cultural piece in the screen with some really interesting questions. I guess, I guess when we get to the interview part of this podcast series, 
you're probably digging more into the competency piece more. So you are really looking for a cultural piece, a chemistry piece in this process. Is that a good way of looking at it? Yeah, that is. And, and I honestly, I will say if um, with, with its, with particularly with like a office position, I usually find I get way more applicate applications. So I actually don't look at the resume before I send them the written screen. And the reason being that you can often find, like I was working with someone and they had spent, oh, like, I don't know, seven hours looking at the resumes of the people who had applied. And I had 200 people apply and I had responded to them all within an hour and a half of work. Mm -hmm. I'd sent them all the written screen and then it was their turn to do work. And for me, that's what's really important is that we don't want to put in way too much work when someone has literally seen an app, a job, sent you a resume, but they may have tweaked it for two minutes and then sent it to you. Now, not, that's not everyone, but mm -hmm. that is something that people are doing. They're applying to so many jobs. And they may not be qualified at all. And you want them really to do the work before you have to do a ton of work. So, yeah, that, that, that's, that's one of the things that's really important about the screening process is just giving us the opportunity to not, as, uh, not waste our time okay. and not well, waste theirs too. And interesting, you mentioned the whole idea of an office staff. We're going to get to, into a second, the difference between office versus kind of field staff. We'll dig into that more because you, you have some interesting perspectives around that piece. There's one piece on the, on this screening cheat sheet that we had, and anyone is available to get it, around necessary and unnecessary barriers as to you're trying to word the questions in such a way that you only want to ask questions that are the true barriers to someone wanting to move to the next process. Now, talk about that piece and how to best articulate those questions so you know the ones you really, really want to ask versus unnecessary barriers. What were you thinking about that? Yeah, that's an awesome question. So I think in terms of unnecessary barriers, that can be either questions or that can be um, ways that you ask those questions. So as an example, we, we will continue to talk more about like the difference between how to set up the program for a field staff versus an office staff. But really for some people, depending on that ideal candidate, either certain types of questions will be intimidating or certain ways that you ask the question. Like if you send a written screen to them, they might be overwhelmed because they don't even have a computer. And really to do their job, they don't need a computer, but they're gonna be typing all this on their phone and they didn't necessarily learn how to type well because they've never actually worked an office job and they finished high school and that was it. But that's not actually something that's core to the role. So I think that's the big thing is, okay, going back to that ideal candidate and saying, is this going to be too much of a barrier? Or even if you ask super personal questions, that also could be a barrier as well. Okay. So I think that's, that's the big thing with wanting to have the right amount of barriers so then you get what you need, but not having too many or inappropriate barriers depending on the person and the role. Okay. And you also mentioned this too, I think in all this, it's always good to, if, with current staff, if there's people already do this type of role, to always kind of use them as a filter by which you can review these pieces before you go out and see what they would think and how they would engage them. I guess it's a great way of looking at that. Yeah, exactly. That's it's it's um, you don't really see the realize the value that you already have in your team in terms of helping you with that. I've done that a few times with my team in terms of 
being like, okay, hey, check this ad out. Would you apply for it if you saw it or not? And if you wouldn't, why not? And let's talk about that. So, yeah. And if you don't have someone who's ideal in your company, maybe there's someone else that you know in your network who would be ideal and you can ask them. And maybe they'll they'll actually want to want to come and work for you, but maybe not. Maybe they'll just t- give you some assistance in terms of your ad and who to find and that sort of thing. Okay. So there's a first part around make sure you develop this around the ideal client prof- candidate profile. And obviously you'd want to definitely look at your job description. Hopefully you've done a good job of creating a good job description. That goes back to our previous podcast around the ad that you put out. All these things need to align in a really good way. Your full job description with the ad, the screening questions, make sure all these things are interconnecting. So you're saying, using the same words and asking for the exact same things. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. I I usually... When I'm, when I'm making the ad and the job description and the ideal profile, the ideal profile for me is usually I try and make about four or five bullet points. It's not anything overly complicated, but it just helps me to still down, okay, this person could be, for example, a stay-at-home mom because we just need someone who's working part-time from home. And we don't need someone full-time. We don't need someone who will run across Ontario for us. We just need someone who will do this. And this could be an idea of who that person could be. We want them to be a um, self-starter as an example. Mm -hmm. Things like that can help you with your profile. And then from there, you can kind of distill down a bit better. But yes, I start out usually with a bit of a profile and then I go into writing the ad and I write the role description kind of at the same time. If not, I already had a role description and I just revise it. But I always take elements from the role description and put them right in the ad. So then it's really very cohesive between the two of them. So I think in all this too, and maybe reminded, because obviously if you're only hiring, let's say someone every year or a couple of people every few months, whatever else, take the time to think through what you want to ask and screen for. Don't wing it is my guess, right? Just take half an hour even or, or, or bounce it off of someone like a Bria or a coach saying, okay, you're, the time you spend up front, which might be just 30 minutes or 60 minutes, is going to save you a lot of time in the screening process is my, my guess, right, Bria? Yeah, for sure. Um, so this, I would say the screening process is something, as you were mentioning earlier, you haven't really done that level of screening in your previous roles and the screening process is something that I think people are scared of Mm. and it's also very underrated because people don't realize how much time they're wasting following up with a bunch of people who aren't who aren't ideal and they could have found that out within a few moments right like if you sign someone up for an hour-long interview and you actually could have just had a 15-minute phone call with them asking them three questions And it might've even been a five minute phone call. If it really didn't go well in the first five minutes, then you would have saved yourself 45 minutes and you would have saved that person 45 minutes too. So, I mean, it's, it's something that, yes, you really do need to make sure that if you spend the time early, it will pay off. That's all I got to say about that I'm having some flashbacks. I'm sure people listen to they're having flashbacks. How many times have you gone to interview somebody and in the first three minutes, you're going, oh, shoot, this is going to be a long half hour of my life. Because you just know in those first three minutes, I should have never set that up. And so I can, as you talk, I can see the beauty of a screening process. 
So you're not having those regrets that he had someone come in the office. You're going, I got to somehow fill in 20 minutes of someone's time. And I know I shouldn't have had him come in. That's my guess, right? Yeah. And I've even had those with screening calls where I'm like, oh, goodness, that thing that I noticed in the written screen that I thought, "Mm, maybe not, maybe they wouldn't be a good fit. But I thought, let me give them a chance. And I was proved right that it wasn't a good fit. And I have had people... I haven't even been able to get them off the phone because they just keep talking and they're not, they're not ideal at all. And it's a big waste of time. So I totally get that. And I cannot imagine if I had that for like an hour interview. So yeah, no good. So great start to this podcast, everyone just, boy, if you've never done a screening process, hopefully you're convinced now just to do this process. Okay. The next piece on this screening cheat sheet we have here is response time. And as I, when I first read this, I thought, interesting, um, you have a general rule of thumb with respect to field staff. You're hiring someone to be in the field. Let's say you're a landscaper or that kind of work. You think they should, you should respond within one to four hours of someone showing interest, interesting, and someone who's in office deposition, one to two days. So give us some rationale for such quick response, which means you better be on your phone getting ready to respond versus an office staff. Talk about that piece. Yeah, so I think this goes back to why it's important that you're prepared. Like if Mm. you've done that extra work to get uh, your screening process, even the first step or two nailed at the beginning, then it's so much easier for you to step into and be like, yes, I'm totally ready to respond. Mm. So one of the things with the field staff, one to four hours, that does seem, I know it's quick. And the big thing here is that Whenever anyone's really applying to jobs, often you'll apply to many jobs at once. You aren't just going to apply to one job unless you're really just like really focusing on one company, which generally with field staff or laborers or things like that, they aren't as much just focused on just one company. They're looking for a job when they're asking for one. So if they're really looking for a job, they're ready to feed their family. They're ready to put food on the table. They're ready to make sure they put, can put gas in their car. So they're looking for a job then. And one of the things is you have to think about your competition. There's a lot of competition in the trades right now. There's not a lot of supply and there's a huge demand. And so what we're getting into here is you need to be the first on the table in terms of you need to be the first one to respond and show that you're excited about it. Otherwise, you're probably going to miss out. And so that's the real with one to four hours we want to keep them warm we want to make sure that they're ready that they're excited and that we catch them first Um, because we don't want it to turn into a bidding war and we don't want it to turn into this situation where we keep losing out on people because they feel like we're not organized Um, so that's the big thing one to four hours and that is really a very simple screen and I mean we'll get into that next but it's a very simple screen, so it's not super hard to do within one to four hours. You just either, you just have to have time set aside for yourself or for someone else on your team who you feel is competent and can do that. Um, the big thing with that is you want to make sure whoever is doing it understands the purpose behind it and understands what they're screening for. So if you're not super prepared with your ideal profile and know what answers will be good from the questions and what answers will be bad, then you probably should do it yourself or at least a few first few, otherwise you might miss out on good candidates or you'll just be flooded with bad candidates anyways. So this, so. Goes, back to, this goes back to that preparation piece. Be ready before you even put an ad out 
have thought through your screening process, the questions, because if you put an ad out, you might get a response within less than a day and people are already asking you, so you got to be ready to go for this. Uh, but you know, the other rule of thumb was, was people in, in office staff, you're saying one to two days are a good piece for that. What's the rationale there for office staff? Obviously, if you can, uh, so one, obviously you can and quickly you should, but you know, one to two days is not a bad rule of thumb for yourself. So sorry, explain that. Rationale. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I usually like, I usually respond within 24 hours is my, is my piece. I mean, one to two days gives you a little bit more leniency, but the reality is that in that environment there's not the same type of competition um and people are much more likely usually to try and find a place that they want to work at mm. versus a place that's just going to feed them today because most people applying for office jobs or or um <clears throat> other white collar jobs are usually already have a job and they're looking to move to somewhere else they're not usually not having a job and looking for a job so Generally, one to two days is pretty good. And a lot of people in office positions don't even respond that quickly. And so what happens then is that we're the first people to it. We make sure that they uh, respond. They see our response. They're excited about it. And again, I have an easy way to do that that makes it not that painful to actually get that uh, response timing, even with like 400 applicants. So, wow. yeah, so you, it works you, well. You, should a process you can make this quite efficient to do that kind of piece. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there, there's a well, interesting rule of thumb. Uh, these are now the ones can for field staff versus office staff. Um, I guess as you beyond that, if there's management roles and different positions, my sense is those individuals who are looking for management, middle management roles, the response times are probably the one to two day kind of thing for efficiency pieces, but they are definitely not, most likely not desperate or as ready mm -hmm. to move right away as someone who's typically in a field staff role. So, but I think it always, in most sense, you're, you're setting a tone as to what kind of company you are by responding quickly and showing interest. So I think that's an important piece as far as core values for your organization. Yeah, exactly. And that's also goes to how do you communicate throughout the whole process? Because a lot of times when people apply, it's they just hear crickets okay. they don't hear anything mm, yeah. and and that can be really difficult um i know some people who applied and at two different jobs and never heard anything six months later they hear something like oh we found your resume mm. doesn't that feel good when their system wasn't set up and they weren't really that excited about you applying clearly and uh then they missed out on you so i think that's the, that's the big thing is we want to set the tone in terms of what kind of company we are, what kind of thing we're expecting in terms of hard work, but then also how we try and care for our staff and our employees to make sure that everyone really does feel valued and like a like a, a valuable team member. So. so one thing I want to bring up though, so I've seen in some job just ads, they will say on the bottom, we thank everybody for applying, how we'll only respond to those people who we're interested in talking to. Um, what's the benefit of that? Or is there really a good benefit to kind of represent your company well by efficiently still choosing to respond to everybody that applies in a quick screen, even though you may not hire them or go to that interview process? Is there something beautiful about that? Or is it, is it just, should you just put that statement on the bottom saying, ah, whoever we're not interested in, we're not going to apply, uh, talk to? 
Yeah, so we respond to everyone who has applied to us. Okay. Um, sometimes if, like, let's say an example would be if I sent an admin screening uh, questionnaire and they never responded to me, I might not respond and say I'm not interested in moving forward with you because they sent I sent them something and they never responded. Mm -hmm. And I've had in past where I've sent them almost like a rejection email and then I have had backlash because I sent them a rejection email. Um, but that's besides the point. But what I, what I would say is that it doesn't take a lot of work to tell people where you're at in your screening process. In our, in our master's mind toolbox, if you're in a part of our master's mind group, we have email templates for all of my correspondence that I ever have with um, any candidates. And one of those is a rejection email. And I actually have a rejection email depending on whatever stage I'm at. So then I can literally go into my Google templates, choose the right template and send them an email response and just tell them that like, honestly, I really enjoyed reading their, uh, their screen and, and I really enjoyed getting to know them, but unfortunately they're not the right people for us at this time. And, okay. and um, depending on the stage that they're at, sometimes there's even an opportunity to say, Hey, would you like me to keep your resume on file in case there's a uh, position that we feel is more suited for you? And then we can talk to you then. So there's a lot of things that could be really helpful from actually just putting that extra time in and showing that you care. Um, so let me briefly dig into the office piece first. And I want to talk about the field staff. So the office piece, you right away have a, a written screen. And I assume, you, whatever, you got 100 people applying. You have a process to quickly send out, hey, please respond to these four questions. Um, maybe half of them don't even respond. So right away, you know, okay, that's, they're, they're finished. And the others, you're just trying to find out, I guess, a bunch of things as to how they respond, what their grammar is, all that kind of piece, which is beautiful. And then I assume from there, the ones you want to proceed with after that, then you do a follow-up phone screen. Is that correct? After the written screen for these office positions, you're trying to what, do 10, 15 minutes of a few key questions there? Is that the process you're thinking of? Yeah, yeah, that's what I usually do. And um, whenever someone sends in their written screen, depending on how many applicants I have, I might flex different things. Like, let's say um, people have not, like, most people, I want them to send in their written screen within 24 hours because then I know that they're really eager and okay. they're really excited and they want to, they're really interested in the job. Um, but sometimes people get busy, so I'm usually okay with like three days response. But if I have, let's say I have like 400 applicants, when I had 400 applicants for a job posting where we had one vacancy, mm. one spot, and that was really difficult because there were just so many people. Um, but in those sorts of situations, I might start rejecting people if they don't send me back their written screen within 24 hours because the reality is I've already gone through a whole set of written screens and it helps me remain organized if people are getting in um, early enough. Um, but yes, after, after the written screen, we do a phone screen and what I'm looking for, I don't know if you really asked this, but what I'm really looking for in the written screen is a few things. One, oral community or written communication, sorry, is very important. So do they have grammar errors? Do they have spelling errors? If there's one, I kind of let those slide. But if it's like a bit of like a, looks like a pattern, mm. then that doesn't really work for us because we really do need people to uh, communicate well written. 
and written communication, emails, writing documents. I mean, at Deliberate You especially, we have a lot of things that we make written mm-hmm. and uh, we really need all of our staff to be very good at that. Um, and then from there, my other piece that I look at right away is our, we have one question about our values and I read that one first because again, I'm looking for someone who's a values fit. So let's go right to the values question. It's like question six or seven usually. Um, it's closer to the bottom. And I go and I read that one. And then if I like the answer that they had there, I'll read the rest. Mm. If not, they're off my table and I don't even look at their resume. So usually I'll look at the written screen first, then I'll look at the resume because for me, values first, then competencies and that's how I do the whole screening process is there a reason why you put the values near the bottom like see if they're actually still paying attention near the questions there is there a bit of a rationale almost the trick I don't want to use the word trick someone but is there there a method to your madness in that a little bit of like I don't want it to be at the top because then I might think people might think that that's the most important question and try and I don't know fake fake their way through it I just want to have it as part of the questions, the reason why it's close to the bottom is just because when we made it, that's where we put it. Okay. Um, but okay. I don't think it needs, it doesn't necessarily need to be close to the bottom. I just wouldn't put it number one because I feel like one, people also need to kind of warm up to some of the, with some of the easier questions and okay. then get to some of the harder questions. And then also maybe they'll realize that it's my favorite question and the one that will kick them out if they don't have the right answer. I'm assuming, no, like, or a good res- answer. I'm assuming the response aren't necessarily long, right? Like, would this be like six or so questions? It might be a page of information to give you back. Like, it's not a massively long document you're looking here. Yeah, depending on the person, I think that we, on ours, we have about seven questions, seven or eight. And depending on the person, it will be one page or two pages. That's like okay. the max I've seen. Actually, no, I had one person respond with four pages. Okay. And I was not interested in reading the whole thing. <laughs> okay, okay. But again, mostly like I will use it as a reference point. I will read it. And, but I won't necessarily read every single question in depth. Okay. Um, because I don't, I usually am able to get a feel for the person by a few of those questions. And then I'm able to say, okay, you know what? This person's good or no, this one's not good and move on. Okay. I don't think we like, I mean, the difficult thing is they have put the work in. So I do want to honor the work that they've done and really review the their written screen. But if they start with, um, they say something that's so counter values or they say something that, or even partially counter values, or they write with quite a few gra- grammar errors and I'll, I'll put things through like Grammarly, things like that. So then I don't even have to read the whole thing hmm. to be able to tell if they have errors um, right away. But if they say something, it doesn't fit, then I'm just pushing them to the side. Like I'm not, I'm not um, spending too much time uh, worrying about the fact that I have to put them to the side because I know that they're not going to make it through the next step anyways. Okay, okay. So I'm just really leading them on if I, if I keep them going and I'm okay. wasting their time and ours. So okay. I think that's one of the important things that way. Based on your number of times you've done this, let's say someone listening say, okay, let's say I have a hundred people that apply and I send out this front office role. As a general rule, do you how many what percent of people actually respond to the written assessment, and what percent of those are actually legitimate? Is there a general rule, or is it all over the map every time you do this process? Kind of over the map, all over the map. I think the last time I did it, I had probably only about a third of the people responded with the written screen filled out, which I was surprised by. Okay. Not as many people, 
Um, the time before that I had, oh, over 50%. Um, so it kind of depends. And then from there, I would probably say my goal is to have about 15 people in a phone Okay. Okay. So from whatever number I have, my goal is to have about 15 people in a phone screen. If I don't have 15 good people, that doesn't mean I'm going to go through my previous applicants and try and choose one that is good. It means that I'll probably try and figure out how to make the ad better Mm. or try and see if there's any new applicants, new avenues where I can send the ad to get more people in because I want to get more people um, if I don't have enough for the phone screen. So Generally speaking, as someone who um, I do all the screening and then I also help in the interviewing if someone's joining my team. But if not, I might not be in the interview. I usually have a bit of a quota for myself in terms of how many people I want to have for in-person interviews, which is usually around six to eight, I would say. I usually try and set up an interview day and and make that work really well so then they can compare each of the... uh, applicants because one of the challenges we get to is if we don't have enough applicants someone who's subpar can look great and so if we don't really focus on making sure that we have the right amount and that we screen them well then we're going to have a bit of an issue that way so need enough for a good comparison to do this Mm -hmm. okay now this is different that's that let's stop there but field staff that's a harder let me call it a harder nut to crack these days, right? It's really much harder. And we have a number of clients who are having, trying to find even someone to reply. And once and that could be because they're ad and you can go back to the previous podcast, but how to create a good ad to engage that piece. But I've even noticed that when you're in this uh, cheat sheet, even texting might be a good way just to prompt some quick responses from people for field staff. And you also have a recommendation that only three to four questions keep it tighter. So talk to me about the rationale behind field staff and how you're engaging. Obviously, you're not doing a written. You're calling them right away or text them. So give us, give us some rationale behind that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I think, so in terms of the texting, I think one of the big things we've noticed in terms of generationally and just overall, I would say a lot of people or younger people are not really phone call people. They don't want to talk on the phone. Even myself, I sometimes have a hard have a hard time calling friends or anything because I, I should probably text them first and see if they're available. Mm. And so that's kind of the whole um, environment. Like I even had I even had something personally where someone was emailing me, and they're like, "Oh, that time doesn't work for a call." And I was like, "You could just call me, and we probably could have our fifteen minute call on the phone right now because we're both on our emails." Mm. Um, <laughs> And so I think that's one of the big things is that there's this whole barrier to having phone calls. So a lot of those people don't necessarily want to pick up their phone because either they're not available. I mean, depending on they might be at a workplace at that time or they might be um, sleeping if they're doing like night shifts or something like that. You don't know. And so texting is something where people feel like there's less of a barrier there. And um, so that's why texting has proved to work for some people as well. Um, and then also it really gets you the ability to actually follow up with them versus just having phone tag with them the whole time. And that's, so that's really a, awesome. And I guess on a timing piece too, to hit the one to four hour response, you know, maybe you're out, you're out working in the field, perhaps you're, you're an employer who actually is in the field sometimes. 
and you may not be able to get pull your phone and have a chat, but to send a quick text saying, hey, I got your application. Hey, can you let me know a couple of things here? You put the questions in a text. You can even copy and paste from previous texts. I guess that way you can really get a response quickly and you don't have to set aside 10 minutes, you know, step away from a job site. So that could be a really good way of doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those questions too, like for those three to four questions, I would choose much different, like different questions than I would for the uh, office screening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that comes down to um, depending on, it, it just really depending on who you're, who you're looking to hire and how much you want to test how they talk on the phone or how they written, how they communicate with written communication. Um, because I think the big thing for the office staff is we also want them to be able to have good oral communication as well. Mm -hmm. And um, so phone skills are important. Mm -hmm. So having a bit of a longer phone screen is also helpful because we get to see how they are on the phone, how they are with answering more nuanced questions um, and things that aren't just a yes or no answer or a answer that's quite simple. Um, so that, that's something that's really important too. And I think one of the things that goes back to with the uh, field staff, I know inside Indeed or inside any of those ad platforms, you can ask some of those simple questions. But for me, my experience has been that if we add any additional barriers, back to what we're talking about, about barriers, mm -hmm. if we add any additional barriers, like questions they have to ask, answer, or even sharing a resume, then they might not apply. And so I think with that one, we really want to make sure that we're not adding extra barriers because there's such a high demand. We want to get all those applicants in and we want to screen them all because getting 20 applicants versus 10 is really helpful because in, in a lot of trades positions, you don't even get those 20 applicants. Whereas in the admin position, you get 450. And I'm just like, okay, I'd like a somewhere in the middle. <laughs> So once again, I'm really important. I'd love to remind you again of think through the questions. Don't have unnecessary barriers. What do you really want to know? And this takes, you may have to sit aside for half an hour, an hour. Just think this through well. Maybe bounce the questions off some of your current staff. So you truly ask what you really want to ask and not just invent things for the sake of asking the question. And if they respond well, then great. Then you can move towards the interview process. But this screening is, I love it is going back to what I said, my, my flashbacks of going into an interview and realizing the first three, four minutes, I wish I didn't have this interview because I realized, and I could have saved myself some time, full, full disclosure admitting here, poor, poor uh, process from a few interviews I've done. The screen pro seems like a really beautiful way to avoid that piece. So any last comments here, Bria, before we end this part of the po this podcast, this series of uh, screening? Yeah, I guess the, I guess the big thing that I would say is just um, put in the work ahead of time. Mm -hmm. It's well worth it. It saves you a bunch of time and it really does deliver high quality candidates. Um, and it helps you even like if you get like, let's say I've had a few people where They've had all these applicants and then they just get discouraged because there's just so much to sort through. Hmm. And then they've ended up missing out on someone who was great, who applied because they're just like, you know what, throw in the towel. I've got someone who's good that hmm. just applied and I'm going to hire them without doing the whole screening process. Hmm. And then they find out later that they had all these great candidates that they just never reviewed because they threw in the towel and they were done. 
So I think that's a big thing is just make sure that you're really, really being intentional about preparing for it. And intentional preparation could take half an hour, could take 15 minutes. Like it doesn't need to take a lot of time. And when you get into it, you might get a little lost in doing it because you're just like writing down all your thoughts. So it's, it's not as much as the first time it might seem daunting and hard. It's not as hard as you might think it is. And if was anything, if you need more help, we'd love to come alongside you to do this. Uh, DeliberateU.com is the website. If you're already a client of ours, you know how to get a hold of us. I'd love to come alongside you. This has been screening as part of the whole recruitment process. Uh, please make sure you engage with the entire series of this podcast around recruiting. Once again, DeliberateU.com for more information. 